Welcome back to the podcast of the River Anglican Church in Blacksburg, Virginia. As we continue in the season of Epiphany, Chris Meckley talks about the ways in which Jesus' coming has changed our worlds. So here's Chris. Will you pray with me? God, we thank you for this group that you have assembled here today, Lord, and we pray that you would speak your words through me, Lord, open our ears to hear what you have to say to us, and open our hearts, Lord, to be obedient to your word. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, I'm glad to be here with you all for worship this morning. Um, Jonathan, our head pastor, is uh, currently in Belize with a team of 10 people from the river. Uh, they're down there working with our friends at Toledo Christian Academy. And so uh, we're praying for them and their trip. They're going to be there. They arrived yesterday, and they'll be there until next Saturday, or this coming Saturday. Um, and so I'm preaching today, obviously. Uh, next week, Jack, who just read our scripture, will, will be preaching, and he's going to be preaching on uh, what does it mean that Jesus is the Son of God. And then on the 22nd, after they're all back from Belize and uh, rested and recuperated, um, Jonathan's going to be kicking off a new sermon series um, uh, called Ask or Imagine. It's going to be a five-week series. Uh, it's going to talk about the attitudes and practices of financial stewardship, and it will also uh, try to explain the biblical basis for the river's upcoming uh, Imagine Capital campaign. So I encourage you to uh, join us for that, because that's going to be a big part of our year in 2023 at the river. Uh, now, on Friday in the, in the church calendar, we entered into the season of Epiphany, and we marked that season by doing the chalking of the doors, which was, uh, was, a, was a really fun thing that we've never done before here at the river, but um, we went and chalked, uh, I think, seven different homes, and that's kind of a way of blessing homes and of making the homes, a uh, asking God to make our homes a place of uh, hospitality and a place of righteousness in the year to come. And so it was a really neat uh, practice, and I look forward to doing it again in, in future years as well. Uh, so every year, the Feast of Epiphany is on January 6th. We're doing a little bit like a little church calendar lesson here before we start. Um, and, and January 6th is 12 days after Christmas. That's where we get the 12 days of Christmas. Um, you may not have known that that was a, a church thing, right? The 12 days of Christmas. We just think of it as a Christmas song, but that's actually a church calendar thing. And so every year on, on Epiphany, on the 6th of January, we remember the visit of the Magi to see the infant Jesus. Now, today is the first Sunday of Epiphany, and on the first Sunday of Epiphany, we remember the baptism of Jesus in the Jordan River. Another uh, common event that we, we remember in Epiphany is Jesus turning the water into wine at the wedding in Cana. Now, all three of these scriptural events are connected during the Epiphany season because all of them are epiphanies. Um, you may not be familiar with epiphany as a church term, uh, but you've probably heard someone say something like, I've had an epiphany. And that they usually mean that they've come to understand something in a new and different way. Uh, originally, epiphany comes from the Greek epiphania, a pretty easy one, um, which means an appearance or a manifestation. So all three of these events are epiphanies because each of them marks Jesus' appearance as the Messiah, to a different group of people. In the visit to the Magi, Jesus appears as God's Messiah to the Magi, uh, who are representative of, of the Gentiles, that, that God's Messiah was coming not just for Israel, but for the whole world. In Jesus' baptism in the Jordan, he appears as God's Messiah to John the Baptist and his followers. 
In the wedding at Cana, Jesus appears as God's Messiah through this miraculous turning of water into wine. He appears to his new disciples who have just started following him. Uh, but these events are also epiphanies in our modern sense of the world because they helped these groups of people to understand the gospel of God in a new way. So in our time together today, we're going to, um, we're going to kind of take one verse from Isaiah 42 as our theme verse for the day. Um, and then we're going to look at two of these events. We're going to look at the visit of the Magi and the baptism of Jesus and how they helped to see people, how they helped people to see God's gospel in a new way. And so the verse we're going to use for our, our theme verse is Isaiah 42.9. To see the former things have taken place and new things I declare. Before they spring into being, I announce them to you. And as we look at that verse and as we look at these stories, we're going to be diving into the idea of, of the former things and the new things. So I want to actually start by looking at a, a poem um, by T.S. Eliot, who's one of my favorite poets. And I think it really illustrates well this idea of the former things and the new things. So the poem is called Journey of the Magi, and it's about the journey of the Magi. Um, something really cool about this poem is that a lot of people don't know T.S. Eliot actually converted to Christianity. And so this is one of the first poems that he wrote after his conversion. And so we can actually really see like what was going on in his mind and in his heart during his conversion in this poem. So in the, in the poem, Eliot imagines one of the Magi is, is looking back years later on the hard journey that they had from their eastern lands into Jerusalem and into Bethlehem. And the speaker in the poem, he recalls all the hardships and the obstacles and the doubts and the difficulties that they faced on their journey. And at the end of all these recollections of remembering how hard it was, he says, all this was a long time ago, I remember. And I would do it again, but set down this, set down this. Were we led all that way for birth or death? There was a birth, certainly. We had evidence and no doubt. I had seen birth and death, but had thought they were different. This birth was hard and bitter agony for us, like death, our death. We returned to our places, these kingdoms, but no longer at ease here in the old dispensation, with an alien people clutching their gods. I should be glad of another death. And so in this poem, Eliot is, is imagining what happened in the lives of the Magi after they returned to their homeland. Although they may have assumed they were coming to Jerusalem simply to witness the birth of, as they say, the one who had been born king of the Jews, what they actually witnessed was a, a new thing that God was doing. This was not simply the birth of a king, but the birth of, as God says in Isaiah 42, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him and he will bring justice to the nations. It was not the birth of an earthly king. It was the birth of the savior that God had promised all the way back in Genesis 3, to Adam and Eve. We can look at a passage like Isaiah 9, uh, and, and we can see this promise very clearly. It says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice. And righteousness from that time on and forever. In the light of Jesus, it's, it's easy for us to see that this passage is talking about Jesus. But the Magi, when they encountered the infant Christ, this was God revealing it to them anew. He's saying, this is the one I was talking about. 
in those scriptures, in those prophecies. This is the child who will be called Mighty God. And when this is revealed to them, of course, the, the Magi can't just go back to their old lives. They can't go back to the same old thing they've been doing before. Everything has changed for them. It says, this birth was hard and bitter agony for us, like death, our death. We return to our places, these kingdoms, but no longer at ease here in the old dispensation with an alien people clutching their gods. This epiphany, the appearance of the Messiah, they understood it in a new way and it changed everything. And now they, were, they go back to their homelands and their families and their friends, but they're strangers and aliens among their own people because they'd seen the light of the one true God's salvation, not just for the Jews, but for the whole world. And when we look at the baptism of Jesus, we, we see essentially the same thing. John the Baptist knows that he's been called by God to prepare the way for God's Messiah. And so he's out in the wilderness. He's calling the people of Israel to repentance and preparing the way for the Lord. He tells them, I baptize, with water, I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn, burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. John knows that God is sending his Messiah, and he's sending him soon. He knows that God is doing a new thing. He's separating the wheat from the chaff, the faithful from the unfaithful. But John's not exactly sure how that is taking place. He's not exactly sure even who that Messiah is. Until he baptizes Jesus in the Jordan. And then he sees the Holy Spirit descend as a dove. And he hears the voice of the Father say, this is my son. And Jesus, who is actually John's cousin, you can imagine like being at that Thanksgiving dinner, that uh, if you're one of the other kids who's not Jesus or John, you know, you're probably having a hard time um, with how good those guys are. <laughs> but Jesus appears to John in a new way. He's revealed to John. This is another epiphany. And it's after this that John can say when he sees Jesus, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This epiphany at Jesus' baptism is a manifestation of the glory of God that makes John see everything in a new way. It radically changes his life just as, as Eliot imagines it radically changed the Magi. After this, John actually sends his followers after Jesus. He tells them he must become greater and I must become less. There's no hint of pride or jealousy in John because the epiphany has helped him to understand that it's time for the former things to pass away because God is doing a new thing. And it's important for us to know that epiphanies aren't only reserved for people in the Bible. The theme of epiphany, of the former things passing away, and of God doing a new thing is representative, really, of our whole life as Christians. The gospel is all about God doing a new thing in us and in our lives. It's about our former lives passing away to make room for the new life that God is giving us. Listen to these passages from Paul's letters that illustrate this. This one's from Romans chapter 6. It says, we are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? 
We therefore were buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. The former things have passed away. They've died and a new thing, a new life has come. And here's one from Ephesians 2. It says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. Paul's telling them, you used to be this way. You used to be disobedient. And now God has made you new. The former things have passed away, and the new things have come. And there's one more from Colossians 2 and 3. It says, in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. He's the head over every power and authority. In him you also were circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self, ruled by the flesh, was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. And so you can see yet again that the old has died in us, and a new you is alive. The former things have passed away and made room for a new thing that God has done in our lives. And the essence of the, of the gospel is that every single one of us is separated from God because of our sin. But through the death and resurrection of Jesus, God has made a way to bring us close to him. In all of us, the former things have ruled, but God has taken them away so that new things can come. When there was no way for us, he made a way. We all were dead and apart from Jesus. And now we've been united with him and he has made us alive. And, and when we first realize that, that's an epiphany for us. When God appears to us and we understand his gospel in a new way, that, that saving faith that we have is an epiphany. When we understand for the first time that we're utterly and hopelessly lost without Jesus, and when as a, as a result of that realization we put our faith in him, the former things in us pass away and God makes us new. But that also can't be the, the end of the epiphanies in our lives. Too often people in the, in the church are content to stop with just that one epiphany. We make the Christian life all about the, the moment of conversion. It's this decision to follow Christ. But that's not all that the Christian life is. When we truly encounter Jesus, everything changes, just like the Magi, just like John the Baptist. We can't simply go back to our old lives. When we encounter Jesus and have a real epiphany about who he is, 
The old things must pass away and the new things must come. That first epiphany, when we first understand saving faith in God, that has to be the start, but our lives are meant to be a a constant series of epiphanies where the old things are always being replaced by the new things that God is doing in us. Where we're always coming to know God in a new and better and deeper way. Listen again to these verses from Colossians 3. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Paul's telling us because God has done away with the former things in you and has made you a new creation, you need to continually put to death those former things that keep springing up in yourself. And you need to keep putting on the new things that God is continuing to give you. Now, it's not something that we we need to do this in order to be saved. God has done the work for us to be saved. God has already saved us. He has made us new. But because he has done that, because he has saved us, because he has made us new, Paul tells us this is how you ought to live. We need to be constantly renewing ourselves. Uh, when we moved into our house in, in 2018, I cleared about like 500 square feet of grass in the backyard to make a garden. So I tore out all the old grass, I broke up the ground, I mixed in new soil, and I made that, that small piece of the yard something new. It looked completely different. It had a a new and a different purpose than it had before. I had done away with the former things and I'd done something new in that one piece of my yard. But the new piece of ground, if it's not continuously attended to, it's always trying to return back to being just a piece of the yard. It's always trying to uh, regrow grass and regrow clover and regrow weeds. I have to constantly be pulling out weeds and clover and grass so that it can have purposeful growth, so that it can bear fruit. And if I don't do that, it doesn't bear fruit. This year was a testament to that because my garden was terrible because I didn't take good care of it. I didn't pull out the weeds and the good things that I wanted to grow didn't grow well. And that's a good metaphor for our lives as Christians. We are called to make a one-time decision to follow Jesus. But we're not only called to make a one-time decision to follow Jesus. We're called to have faith in Jesus continually, to trust in him for salvation continually, and because he has saved us, to continually be making way for the new things he's doing in us. We're called to be his followers and his disciples and his friends. I've been talking with the youth about this and trying to show them the difference between Christ being your Savior, and Christ being your Lord, uh, where we, we don't just trust in Christ for our salvation, but we follow him and we obey him, right? Jesus says, if you are my friend, you'll do the things what I, that I command. And so now we're beginning a, a new year, and a lot of people have probably made New Year's res- resolutions, and uh, we're, we're eight days into the new year, so you might still be doing well, actually, on your New Year's resolution. Uh, Or if you're like me, then it lasted like eight hours or so, the time that you were asleep on New Year's Eve. Um, But 
I want to urge us not to be just content with the typical New Year's resolution. I think that we should aim for something more. You know, what if instead of deciding that we're going to take this year to eat better or work harder or save more money, we decided in this new year that we were going to dedicate ourselves to having epiphany? What if we dedicated ourselves to understanding and knowing God in new and deeper ways? Now, that might sound like a daunting task, but really it's not. How do you get to know anyone in a new and better way? You spend time with them, and you talk with them. And that's how we get to know God in new and better ways, too. That's how we have epiphanies, these new uh, revelations and knowledge, knowledge about God. We get deeper knowledge of God when we spend time with God. We do that through, through reading Scripture regularly, through prayer, both individually and in groups, through this corporate worship that we're doing. This is time that we spend with God. This is how we get to know God better and in new ways. We spend time with him ourselves. We learn from the wisdom and knowledge of others. And then this is really important. We test everything we learn against the scriptures. Because if our new knowledge of God doesn't align with his word, it's not a true epiphany. God won't teach us something new that is different from what his word says. But if we here in, in this congregation, if we made this our New Year's resolution, what might God do in us? What if we committed ourselves to seeking out these kinds of epiphanies? If we committed ourselves to putting off the old self and putting on the new self in Christ, to vigilantly and constantly putting away those former ways of life, living into the new life that Jesus has called us to. Can you imagine what we might learn about God and what he might do through us in this community? You know, just as, as one example of the, the great work that God can do, we live in a community that has thousands of internationals from all over the world, from places where that have extremely limited access to the gospel. The work that God does through us, if we committed and dedicated ourselves to him, could literally reach to the ends of the earth. And think about the, the eternal and the temporal impact that we could have if we dedicated ourselves to understanding God's heart for the nations and putting that heart into our own heart, committing ourselves to the work of being his ambassadors in the world. And actually, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus tells people to stop worrying so much about what they'll eat and what they'll wear. And he tells them, seek first his kingdom and righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. And so really, that's how we should approach our, our New Year's resolutions anyways, seeking first God's kingdom, seeking first his righteousness. Because he's promised us that, that if we do that, he'll give us what we need. And God's always faithful to his promises. And so my challenge to you is to, to examine yourself. You know, look closely and look candidly at your life and see where in your life are the former things still in control. Elliot says that the, the Magi went back and they, were, it, they weren't at home with these people clutching their gods. Right? What gods are you clutching to in your life? What false gods? What parts of your life have you neglected to submit to God? 
What do you need God's help to put to death in you so that he can bring you new life? And so I want you to seriously think about these things. And if there are things that God reveals to you, share those things with someone in the church. Find someone that you trust and share those things. Because God says in Genesis, it's not good for man to be alone. There's a reason that the church is described as the body of Christ and the household of God. Because none of us are meant to try to figure this out and do it all on our own. He's put us into community for a reason. And maybe there's a lot that's in your life that you need God to put to death. And maybe you can't count the places where you need new life, and that's okay. There's no project that's too big for God, and we can start small. You know, we can decide that we're going to do one thing differently at a time. You know, maybe instead of uh, scrolling through your, your choice of social media for 20 minutes, you'll read your Bible for 20 minutes a day. Maybe, you know, for one lunch per week, you're going to fast and pray with two people. Or maybe if you're like me and you tend to watch a lot of TV show late at night, you'll take that time to do a devotional instead to pray, to read your Bible. And too often we're content to, to just go about our days without any expectation that God will reveal himself to us or work through us. But that's not true of God and that's not what God wants. He's made us his body, his hands and feet in the world. He wants to work through us. He wants to work in us. He's made us a light to the nations. 2 Corinthians 5 says that he's made us Christ's ambassadors. We're his official representatives in the world. He wants to work in and through us, and, and he wants to do amazing things in and through us. But we need to come alongside him. We need to have these epiphanies. We need to learn to know him in new and deeper ways. We need to come to know him better every day. And we need to continually put off the former things, the old self, and embrace the new things, the new person that God has made us to be. Remember Isaiah 42. See, the former things have taken place, and new things I declare. And so this year, let's come alongside God to be made new and to do new things in his name. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for joining us for this sermon from the River Anglican Church. You can find us on the web at theriverinrv.org, also on Facebook, and you can join us in person if you like on Sunday mornings at 9.15 at 110 Roanoke Street East, Blacksburg, Virginia, 24060. We hope to see you again next week.